0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Inspire Podcast. This is Matt. And this is Brad. We are the pastors of Inspire Church in Westfield, Indiana. If you want to stay up to date with everything that's happening around here, be sure to subscribe to our text updates by texting the keyword INSPIRE. That's N-S-P-I-R-E to 317-451-4111. We hope the following message inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. I'm excited to be here with all of you guys today. Uh, my name is Sarah Daniel, and uh, as Pastor Brad mentioned, I've gotten to know you guys a little bit through the if gathering that I really enjoyed being at. So, if you were there and you met me, please say hi to me before you leave today. Um, and then I really enjoyed being a part of the Fresh Take podcast, and just getting to know your church over these last couple of months has been. Just really exciting to me um, to hear what you guys are doing up here in Westfield. Uh, I live and worship on the Near East Side of Indianapolis, so I don't get up to this area very much. So it's been really great to just hear about everything that you guys are doing and uh, just your heart for the community. Uh, And through these last few months, we've been able to develop a partnership uh, between Inspire and Unconditional. Uh, And as Pastor Brad mentioned, uh, Unconditional works with women that work in the adult entertainment and sex industries in Indianapolis. Um, We've been around since 2012, and how we go about that is we exist to be a bridge between the church and the sex industry, and we go to local strip clubs, and we bring gifts for the people that are working there. Um, and through that, we just build life-transforming friendships and help connect women to resources, provide wraparound support, and most of all, above everything, just to be someone's friend and um, be in their corner for someone that the church has historically just kind of rejected. So I'm really excited to have you guys partnering with us and I've already been just seeing some fruit from that. And um, if you're interested in learning more, and um, maybe this morning, you're like, that sounds really weird, but I want to hear more about it, then I'll be in the lobby after some Service, come and chat with me, um, and we can talk about how you can maybe get involved with that. But I was really excited when you guys asked me to uh, speak this morning, and especially when I heard about your sermon series, God of the Underdog, um, and that I was specifically able to speak on Esther. Esther is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Um, And also one that has been wildly misinterpreted over the years. And so I was really excited to study and dive into that. But then as I started preparing for the sermon um, and going over my notes this last couple of weeks, I just really had some difficulty of uh, diving into it. And uh, I I preach regularly at my church at Indy Metro. And I kind of have this ongoing joke with my pastor there that, every time he assigns a certain topic uh, or scripture for me to preach over, it's always something that I'm actually struggling with at that time. Uh, so I always, I'm like, you're just watching me and waiting, like, oh, well, this is well how I'll get Sarah to work on this because uh, she's gonna have to preach on this. Well, I can't blame my pastor for that this time because he had nothing to do with this. And as I sat down to prep for Esther, I was like, why is this so difficult for me? And then I realized one of, one of the overarching themes in this uh, book of the Bible is faith and hope in all circumstances. And that God will redeem any situation, even the ones that look completely hopeless. And just having a faith that God will restore his promises, even if it's not how we think it'll look. Yeah, that's not really been my strong point this week. Uh, I've spent a lot of time this week uh, just being kind of annoyed at work and, and not trusting that God's going to do what he says he's going to do. Um, so, if this morning in this sermon, if you are listening to it and just feeling like, oh, that's, that's kind of me this morning, just know you're in good company because uh, a lot of these things that I'm preaching about I've been struggling with all week. So, we can all kind of struggle through this together as we dive in this morning. Um, Well, like I said, I'm really excited about Esther, um, and she is one of my favorite people in the Bible, uh, but also something that's been really taken out of context. So, I'm not sure what your faith background is, Um, if you grew up in the church, or if you're a brand new Christian, or maybe you still don't know what to think about all this Jesus stuff. Um, But if you grew up in the church, uh, I myself grew up a preacher's kid in a really small town, Um, actually the home of the Hoosier Gym, which I listened to Pastor Matt's sermon last week, and he referenced that. So, um, yes, that's my only sports reference that will be in this entire sermon, because unlike Pastor Matt, I hate sports. I am one of five girls, and I'm a stereotype girl in many, many ways, um, So, but I am from land of the Hoosier gym, um, but anyway, I grew up in a preacher's home and you know, going to Sunday school, the flannel graphs, all that kind of stuff, and the way you always heard Esther kind of talked about was just sort of like she was this Disney princess of the Bible, right? So it's like the story would usually go something like this. It's like, Esther was this poor orphan girl, which is like how half the Disney princesses start out. Like, none of them have parents. Uh, And so that was Esther, you know, this poor orphan girl just waiting for a man to come along and change her life um, like every other Disney princess. And one day she was chosen because she was so beautiful to compete in a contest to win the affections of the king of the land. And because she was so beautiful and charming, then she was selected by the king and they were going to live happily ever after. But then the fate of her people were threatened and she convinced the king to save her people and they all lived happily ever after. So that was kind of always the, the way I'd heard it framed. And then I remember the first time I read Esther as an adult, I was like, what? This is not what I remember from the flannel graphs. This is a little bit different. Um, so I just want to walk you through a little bit of how the story is more in context. Um, and I'm not going to go into every single piece of this because then we'd be here all day and I don't want to be that guest speaker. Um, so I encourage you this week to read through the whole book of the Bible. It's only like 10 chapters, pretty short. Um, and so that you can get all the side stories and all the side characters and all that. So basically, how this story starts out is King Xerxes is uh, partying with his friends, and it starts with the king banishing his wife, Queen Vashti, because she would not dance suggestively for the king and his friends. Okay, I don't remember that in the flannel graphs. Um, And so just a little bit of context of this was, you know, women during this time in the Bible were really thought to just be property. Um, you really didn't have any rights. Um, your husband was able to control whatever you do, whatever you did, um, and you were expected to do whatever he asked you to do. And so when the queen refused to dance and entertain him and his drunk friends, um, then all of his friends were like, we cannot let the women have an uprising. So the idea to banish his wife came out of a fear that all women would use this to rebel against their husbands. So this would all just start like wildfire and the entire structure of the kingdom um, would fall to pieces. And so they wanted to make an example out of the queen. So after the Queen Vashti was banished, an order was put out to find a replacement. It's so basically uh, the king the next, a couple days later, he was sobered up and realized, "Oh, well, now I don't have a queen. I should probably do something about that." And so they all just, he and his friends decided that they needed to send out a decree to try and find a new queen. So in chapter two, verse eight says, "As a result of the king's decree, Esther, along with many other young women, was brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa and placed in Haggai's care. So this was a decree. So this was law. This was not an option. So again, when we hear about Esther, sometimes we think about like she was auditioning for a beauty contest or something. Um, But really, this was people going around and forcing the women that they wanted to be a part of the harem Um, to come with them. So this was decree, this was law, which meant it was not optional. And when women and young girls were summoned to be a part of a harem, um, this is when their life ended. So it wasn't like you were going and getting like... so. The women were expected to have different beauty treatments to prepare to meet the king. Um, And sometimes that can be portrayed as like, oh, well, they just had a year-long spa day. Um, But you were not free to leave the palace. You were not free to come and go as you please or even to to speak to the king if you wanted to. Um, So this was not a great thing to happen to you to be selected to be in the harem. And um, then after you were selected then, and you prepared to meet the king, then you would be summoned by the king, and it was up to you to please him in his bedchambers. Which, dot, 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 you know what that means. Um, so, which is really horrific when you think about it, that um, these young women were forced to join this harem, and then they were just summoned for whenever the king wanted to please his desires. And a characteristic of Esther that I've heard praised by people throughout the years and, and in com- even in Bible commentaries is her overall obedience to the situation, that she just followed the rules and did what she's supposed to do. Um, but actually how Esther feels about what is happening to her is not really clearly spelled out in Scripture. Um, because she, Just because she didn't rebel and fight it doesn't mean that she necessarily consents to what is happening to her. Um, it 's just merely the context of how women were considered to not have any say over themselves in this time. so the idea that she would fight this um, would be pretty ludicrous, especially for someone in a position like Esther. Um, she was an orphaned jew, and Jews were not highly regarded in the society either and Just as even we see in context today, um, for someone who's orphaned, you just, you have different obstacles than other people, and even more so during this time. Um, She did have a caretaker, she had a guardian, her cousin Mordecai, but to still not have your biological parents um, created lots of obstacles. So Esther is taken to the harem, and she's chosen to be queen by the king, and Again, when we hear, like, oh, she was selected to be queen out of all the people, then it's really tempting for our 21st century brains to be like, ooh, like, Kate Middleton, cool. She gets to be, you know, the queen of the land. But that's, that's not exactly how it was. Um, she's not the Kate Middleton of Persia. Um, she really has no say, and she, this doesn't mean now she has a mutual relationship with the king. Um, She's still not allowed to go to him or to speak to him unless she is summoned by him. So basically, she just has to stay and wait until the king wants to see her, um, which typically when he wants to see her, it's just to fulfill his own desires. So um, while this is going on, then her cousin is Mordecai, is stationed at the king's gates. And he overhears some people plotting to kill the king. And he actually reports it to Esther, who then reports it to the palace and helps save the king's life. So this is important because it's just, again, helping build kind of her rapport and starting to plant seeds of her to have any kind of power, um, which is very limited in this context. Now, shortly after that, then Mordecai is near the palace, and there is a guy named Haman. And he works for the king, and he had recently got promoted. So he's super psyched about his promotion. And part of his promotion means that when he is going around the kingdom, then when he passes by, people have to bow to him. And he's very excited about that. And Mordecai, for whatever reason, when Haman goes by him, he refuses to bow to him. And this happens a few times, and that really makes Haman angry. Like, Why would you refuse to bow to me? Um, and instead of just punishing Mordecai, uh, which would be legal, he could punish him for, he could kill him for just refusing to bow to him, Um, then he decided, not only am I going to punish Mordecai, we found out he was a Jew, so he decided, you know what, I need to destroy his entire people group. Um, And so he manipulated the king into issuing a decree that would annihilate all the Jews and give over their property as well. Now, I'm an overreactor, okay? Like, I can take things pretty personally. Um, For instance, I'm a very messy person. Um, I am not naturally clean. I'm also very insecure about how messy I am, though. Uh, My husband, bless his soul, is very, very clean. And I like to think I'm giving him immersion therapy just by him living with me. Um, But even though I am very messy and I'm very aware of it, I'm also extremely sensitive about it. Um, and so even if my husband's just like gently like, hey babe, like maybe you could clean up some of your stuff, then myself, the overreactor that I am, is just like, well what I hear you saying is you don't love me anymore. Um, so I, I am an overreactor. So like I can empathize with people in the Bible that are overreactors too, but this is just kind of next level, all the overreactions that are happening in this story. I mean, already we have the king who's like, oh, you're not going to dance for me at a party? Well... Guess you're getting banished from the kingdom. Oh, you don't bow down to me? Guess I'll just wipe out your entire race. So there's a lot of overreactions that are happening here. So if you're an overreactor, you can feel a little better about yourself after today because at least you're not wiping out an entire people group because someone made you angry. So all this to say, then this decree goes out that they're going to destroy all the Jews. And um, this Really concerns Mordecai also, not just because he is a Jew, but Esther is one as well, and that she has the closest proximity to the king. So even though she has very limited power, um, she is the most able to do something about what is happening. So Mordecai goes and he urges Esther to help her people. So if we read in chapter four, verse ten through fifteen. Says Then Hester, Esther told Hathach to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people of the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. So Hathach gave Esther's message to Mordecai. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. So in this part, this is kind of like the climax of the story of what is going to happen. And... I love just like Esther's humanity here of her not just right away wanting to be like, sure, I'll go risk my life to save my people. Uh, It would have been really easy for her just to hide out, Um, but she did end up going to the king and pleading her case with him and admitting that she was a Jew herself. Um, and then he was able to issue another decree that allowed the Jews to fight back and to save their people. And this is a very historical event that even goes, um, is celebrated today by Jewish people. They have a festival called Purim. Um, and so this she's a highly regarded person because she helped save her people during this time. So... That is more of an in-depth summary of Esther. Um, So I know it was a lot of information. So again, I just really uh, urge you to read through the story yourself throughout this week and um, see how it speaks to you. But one of the things that just really stood out to me in this book is, well, first of all, God is actually never mentioned in the book of Esther. It's the only book of the Bible where God is not mentioned. Um, But what is so amazing is throughout the whole book, you can see the hand of God weaving through the entire story of just timing and how people are placed in certain positions at certain times to uh, save God's people and to restore this kingdom And so throughout the story, one of the overarching things I see is that our hope is in God's promises, not in our circumstances. So even though God is not explicitly mentioned, um, we see God's promises all throughout this. And when we just look at the circumstances of the story, it can seem like a pretty hopeless situation. So even when we look at the very beginning circumstances of Esther— so again, Esther is an impoverished, orphaned Jewish girl in a Persian nation who is essentially sex trafficked and forced to keep her identity a secret. So not exactly someone that you think, man, I really see God working in her life. Um, someone that you just see the odds stacked up against her already. And as we see as Esther's hesitance in her, her humanity, you know, I can't imagine what is going through her head during this time. You know, all these awful things have already happened to her. And now she's in this position in the palace where she has this choice of either going and risking her life to try and save her people. Or she can just kind of try and lay low and hope no one figures out that she's a Jew um, to try and save herself above other people. But I love that then, right at the right moment, comes her strong resolve where she says, if I die, I die. You know, sometimes we can look at circumstances and we can try and say, like, well, everything happens for a reason. Um, And I don't really think that's entirely accurate. Sometimes we can say that in Christian circles, too. Like, oh, everything happens for a reason. Um, But it's more that God will use everything that happens for a reason. Because it's not God's will that we live in brokenness. You know, the, the brokenness that we live in was not God's original plan but God will always use a broken situation to glorify him and bring about redemption. We can look at circumstances and we can say that what Satan meant for evil, God will use for good, just as we see here with Esther. Because what was meant to destroy her will actually be used to save countless lives. And a lot of times people can look at Esther as kind of like a come-up story, like poor orphan girl become queen, but really Esther is not a come-up story. It's a redemption story. It's a story of God using her hardship at the margins and elevating her to save her people. We see this kind of thing all throughout scripture because as I know you guys talked about last week, God is the God of the underdog. We even see it in how Christ took form on earth. We see it in God's decision to send his son in a lowly manger to be crucified on the cross. And I just want to say, if your story is messy, if you have found yourself on on the margins, on the fringes, I want you to know that you are God's kind of people. We see this in Matthew 20, 16, where Christ says the last will be first and the first will be last. We see it in who Jesus befriends while he is here on earth, as he befriends the outcasts and the lowly and people that society just completely disregards. Because God turns the structure of earth on its head. See, we serve a God who takes the orphaned girl who is trafficked and says, I see you, and I will make things new. We can look at our circumstances. We can ask, oh, has God forgotten me? Or we can look at circumstances and even try to justify them of, oh, well, this happened to me because I did this or I did that. And I just want to say, whatever horrible things have happened to you, was not God's plan. Now, before you accuse me of parasy or anything, what I mean by that is, while God will use anything to bring about his plan, it was never God's plan to have the kind of brokenness and injustices in our world that we have today. But then sin entered the world and made everything broken. And now we have these things that, that just can grieve us to our core, and they grieve God as well. But God doesn't leave us in our brokenness here on earth. He meets us here, and he takes the injustices, and he uses them to glorify his kingdom on earth. But it's up to us if we will actually be a part of it, just as it was up to Esther on whether or not she would be a part of redeeming her situation. Because you, you see, we can, we can sit in our circumstances, and we can just be paralyzed by them, or we can surrender to what God wants to do in those circumstances. So I, I don't know uh, very many of you here today. I don't know what your situation is. And maybe you're at a point in your life where you just feel stuck. And it's a lot easier when you feel stuck in circumstances to just sit there and just wallow in it and just stay stuck. Maybe, even your, maybe your marriage has taken a hit. And, and you don't really see how you can move forward, and you don't see how God could redeem whatever things have happened there. Or maybe you're like Esther, and you come from some pretty traumatic circumstances, and you don't know how God could possibly redeem what has happened to you, or how he could use it for his glory, because it just seems too broken. Has there ever been a time in your life where you have seen what was meant for evil be used for good, like Esther sees here? And I'm not, I'm not trying to silver line whatever you're going through. I hate that. I hate whenever you're going through someone and someone's like, well, at least, da, da, da. I'm like, you know, that doesn't change the situation that this situation, this doesn't change the fact that this situation is terrible. So I'm not trying to silver line you. What I am saying is our God is a God that shows up in the darkness, often using the most unexpected people to get his will done, to bring about redemption on earth. Because God is going to get his will done one way or another. I love that part in uh, that chapter where Mordecai answers her like, listen, Jews are getting saved no matter what. So it's up to you whether you're going to be a part of it or not. Whether you want to be a part of this story. Because God is going to do what he promises to do. We may not see it on this side of heaven, and it may take generations to get there. So it's up to us whether we're going to respond to the invitation because redemption is an invitation to be a part of God's promises. You see, there were, there were two parts to Esther's story that she had to consider. How to respond to her circumstances, and also the circumstances of her people. Esther couldn't help the circumstances she was placed in. You know, she couldn't help where she was born. She couldn't help the family she was born into. She couldn't help that she was taken and forced to be in the king's harem. Couldn't help that she was even chosen to be queen, which means she's stuck there forever. But when the opportunity for her circumstances to be used for good arose, it was up to her whether or not she would accept that invitation. You see, redemption of a situation is not necessarily easy. It's, it's easy to kind of like talk like that. And again, I think that's kind of silver lining people where we're like, Oh, well, you know, God will use it for good. But to actually be a part of that story and to answer that invitation is incredibly difficult. For Esther's story to be used for purpose and to save others, she had to take a huge risk. A sacrifice was made. And we might not necessarily be like Esther and experience this level of choice of die or save other people. Um, I I don't think any of us will, but who knows? Um, But... To follow Christ and to see his goodness redeem our circumstances, it will cost us something. It might cost you your comfort. So maybe whatever circumstances you're in, you see how God wants to move in those and how to change in those, but you really are just like, you know what? That sounds messy. That sounds uncomfortable. I'm just going to stay here and kind of lay low to save myself. It might cost you your, your pride. So again, whenever we can just wallow in things that have happened to us, you know, it's, it's easier to just like hold on to our pride of that um, and not to let God work in that. It might even cost you your, your reputation. When God calls you to something, other people might not understand it. I know in, in the ministry I do, I often get people who look at me like I have three heads and don't understand it. So it might cost you your reputation. It's easier to sit in whatever circumstances we're in and not see past what is happening. But when God is calling us to his plans to make all things new, it is always worth it, just as it was worth it for Esther here to take that risk. And I also want to say, even if Esther had been killed, it would still be worth it because she was actively being a part of God's plan. God doesn't just meet us in our circumstances because he loves us, but also because he loves everyone. And you were made with a purpose. So just as, you know, God redeeming Esther's situation wasn't just for Esther. It was for her and the entire Jewish people. You don't know what people are waiting for you to act out and follow God's calling in your life. You don't know who is waiting to hear the good news because you stepped out in faith and were able to use your story and your circumstances to bless and redeem other people. We don't know who is just waiting for us to take that leap and take that risk. So your circumstances and how you respond are about more than just you. He says, yes, God took what was happening to Esther and gave it purpose and redemption, but it was not just for Esther. It was for all the Jewish people. Your response to the invitation of redemption affects more than just you. Redemption doesn't necessarily mean our idea of a happy ending, right? I mean, then that would be pretty easy to take the risk. because It's like, well, if I take this risk of where God's calling me to and letting him use the situation and circumstances for his glory, it means that I get like a really easy life and everything works out happy. Sure, sign me up, <laughs> Um, but often, God's plan is intricate and long, and we don't know where we're, we're at in it. Just as the, we see in the apostles uh, and the early church following Christ and taking great risk often meant their early deaths. But we see how God used that in his plan, and we see the implications of that even to this day. And I, for one, am very grateful that the early church took those risks and were persecuted and killed to just bring about the good news of Christ. So even though redemption doesn't necessarily mean our idea of a happy ending, it does mean God's promise is being fulfilled. Our circumstances don't determine our calling. There's never a convenient time to follow Jesus. So again, Esther could have looked at where she was and what happened to her and thought, well, this is it. <laughs> A lot of times God will call us to things that our background and what we've gone through, it doesn't make any sense that he would put us in that position. We see that with who, God cho- who Jesus chose to be the 12 disciples. We see that in the Old Testament with people like Esther. God loves choosing the underdog. He loves choosing the people on the fringes to do things that don't make any sense. And even not just people on the fringes, just people whose stories, it it doesn't match up. I'm a preacher's kid from a town of 2,000 people that had drive your tractor to school day. It does not make sense that God would put me in a ministry to women that work in the sex industry. But I also know when I was growing up as a preacher's kid in a small rural town, I was one of the most judgmental, self-righteous people you would ever meet. And I know that God has redeemed my story by taking away those pieces of self-righteousness by seeing myself and the women at the club. So God will use unlikely people to do his vision, but he will get it done way, one way or another. It's up to us if we respond to that calling. You know, it's really easy to find excuses when we feel like God's telling us to step out in faith, right? It's, I mean, I'm an excuse expert. It's really easy to do. Uh, one of the ones that I feel like I do a lot, that a lot of people do, especially in uh, American Christianity, is that I'm too busy. I got a lot going on right now. I'm just too busy to get this done. I just uh, maybe you know when I'm you know single or married or when I'm done having kids or when my kids are moved out of the house or when I retire, it's always we can be waiting for the next thing. Um, or we can just be uh, what our life stage is. You know, like, oh, well, at this stage in my life, I just don't think that I have any capacity to think about anyone other than myself. Um, I, I met this 90-year-old recently who I want to be when I grow up. Uh, and as I was talking to her, she told me, she said, well, next week I'm starting prison ministry. I said, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> 90 years old said, you know, I just felt God really calling me to prison ministry, so I I start the training next week. I was like, I have no excuse for any hesitancies of my life stage. If this 90-year-old woman can step out in faith and go and minister to prison, because she feels like that's where God is calling her. Um, Another excuse that we can often do is um, we think that we're waiting till we're good enough or when we're no longer too broken. You know, I, I I hear this a lot from people where it's like, well, I just got to get myself together before I can help other people. But when we look through Scripture, it's full of flawed, messed up, rag team kind of people who end up changing the world for Christ. And I just want to say, if you if you're worried if you're too broken to make a difference and to live out a Christ like to live out for Christ, I want to say the danger is when you no longer think you're broken. Because when you realize you're broken, you know that you need God's redemption daily, and you can help bring that for other people as well. Because God wants to use us to bring pieces of heaven to earth. Again, it's not going to look like a Disney ending, right? It's going to be messy and difficult, and things might happen where we might say, like, I really don't understand your hand in this, God. I don't understand how this is going to be used for your glory. But the beautiful thing is, God always comes through, even if it doesn't look how we thought it would. He will always get his will done. In closing today, I just want to reach out to you that if you are in circumstances that seem hopeless, that you feel like God has forgotten you, I just want you to know that you are not alone. You are not in those circumstances by yourself. And that if you just feel like the biggest underdog and just don't understand how God could use someone like you in this situation, like someone like Esther, I just want to encourage you that God sees you and he is with you and he is not leaving you in those circumstances and he will give purpose to your story. And... If you're out of circumstances and you just you know there's this invitation of redemption and, and you know that God is calling you into something, and you're like, oh, I'm scared, or this, this situation just makes, it's too much risk, I just don't know. I encourage you just to remember the courage of Esther here and the courage of just following out a life for the gospel and what that can do for people that you may have never even met before. Because people are waiting for you to answer the invitation of God's redemption story. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, just thank you so much for what you are doing up in here in, in Westfield and for um, the people that Inspire in this church, Lord. And I pray that you would just give us the courage of Esther and, and the humility, too, of knowing that it can be a large risk to follow you and to put our circumstances behind us. But, God, I just pray that uh, we would go forth um, boldly to follow you no matter what the risk may be. Just Jesus' name, amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Westfield area, we'd love to see you at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions and more information about our services and family ministries, check out our Facebook page or visit us online at www.inspire.church.